Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. You ever had a day by 11.36? I have had a day by 11.36 today. You know what? But there's only one answer for that. I don't know if your day's over at like 8 sometimes. I don't know if you've had a full day by 7. I don't know if some mornings you wake up and it's pretty convincing that, you know what, that was smooth for us. That was really smooth. Um, I'm just going to tell you what I've decided is it's not more of me that I need. It's not more me. I've tried solving every problem. And I'm not really doing such a great job. You know what I need more of? I need more truth. And that didn't come from getting advice from somebody that might agree with me. That didn't come from looking around for somebody that just might shrug their shoulders, nod their head and say, oh, I get what that guy's saying. Yeah, you're right. Go on. Keep doing what you're doing. No, it's from the unwavering word, from the scriptures, from the truth And from the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, not just in the way he lived on this earth, but what he did on this earth for me. That's what changes me. That's what takes a full day by 1136 and makes it a day with hope and meaning and purpose because I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live by the flesh, I also live by faith. And I live that life by faith in, not Jesse, but in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. So whatever the person we meet is, whatever darkness they're living in, whatever light they're living in, the answer is never more of them. It's always less of them, and it's always more of the truth of the gospel. It's not what can they do? How can I get out of this situation? It's what did Jesus do for me that makes this situation livable? We're in a series called Darkness to Light. It's an amazing series. It's chronicling the acts of Paul in the book of Acts, written by Luke for a purpose to a man named Theophilus in hopes that he would come to know Jesus Christ. And the power of the resurrection. So we, we see that Paul's not the only player here, but the way that we're walking through this series is in all these accounts, these selected accounts of Paul and what he did, how we can live our lives in a way that truly shows darkness to light. Because I'm here to tell you, you were not born in light. We'll get to that in a minute. But as we continue to walk in this story of Paul, we track the beautiful way that Paul encountered Christ, that Paul submitted to Christ, that Paul served Christ, that Paul died for Christ. And in that, we see a picture of light and of dark. And we see that where Paul went, guess what followed him? Darkness. It's a true picture of giving all that we have For the one that gave all for us. But how? Well, it's not behavior modification. It it, it is in some way. But it isn't 
more of you. It isn't a more disciplined version of you. It isn't a better you at this or that or the other. No, it's something that is deep down in the fabric of who we are. What, what's called in the, in the textile industry, the warp and the woof. You can look it up. I did. The warp and the woof, the very foundation of who we are must be changed in order for us to go from darkness to light. Like I said earlier, it isn't just a better version of Jesse that lives. No, it is Jesse that is dead and Christ that lives in Jesse. So as we walk in this today, we see what did Paul do? How did Paul do this? It's that at the very foundation of who Paul was, there was a fundamental difference than most people live in their journey of faith. Your journey to faith is pretty much the same. We all have a similar story. Now, some of you, you went to Sunday school and you realized in Sunday school, some of you went to a bar that was closed on Sundays and that's how you, but however you came to your journey of faith, you realized that you needed to find Christ. Now, where it breaks down, I believe, is that in our journey to faith and our journey of faith, we don't get down deep enough to the changes that need to happen. That's why what Paul does and lives and breathes and exhibits seems impossible for us. I worked at Cracker Barrel, that's right, uh, right there in Waco. If you exit Lakeshore Drive and you do the U-turn right there as you come through, it's horrible traffic right now. Same great service and food. Um, and I worked there at Cracker Barrel, and I was a waiter. And there's a lot of interesting people that you work with in the food industry. And if you're in the food industry, you know what I'm talking about. And if you like Cracker Barrel, then I will tell you this. Worked in several restaurants. Cracker Barrel is the most clean, precise well-kept place I've ever worked, and I would eat there to this day with confidence. Now, there are several restaurants I would not eat, and I will not say. But I worked at this Cracker Barrel, and I worked with a vast array of people. And there's one person there today. Let's call her Christina, because that was her name. And <laughs> Christina would come into every shift and would say, I have to pick up some shifts. Everybody, whoever needs to give me a table, I need tables, I need shifts, I need time, I need money. Five minutes into her shift. Six minutes in, she's like, who can help me out? I'm stressed, I'm overworked, I got too many tables, why are y'all so lazy? And you're like, wait, you said you want as a favor, I don't need them. I'm, I'm like 20, I haven't even slept in three days and I feel great. One day I'd had enough. I had enough of Christina. Everybody was talking about Christina, saying these things about Christina, and I thought to myself, Christina needs to know the truth about herself. So right there, six minutes into her shift, I told Christina, Christina, you need to know something about yourself. You're annoying. You're a hypocrite. You say one thing, you do another thing. You have, no, you have no discipline in your life. You have no tact. Ironic. Uh, and I just went on and on and on. And as I started to talk, I noticed the gathering getting around. I'm like, okay, anybody join in at any time. Instead of happiness, I saw 
Gasts. People were mad at me. People were upset at me. People were like, and I'm like, no, you just said that in the break room. No, you. But I told Christina the truth of who Christina was. And you know what lens I told that to Christina in? The lens of that Jesse was born perfect lens. The Jesse was born perfect lens. The Jesse has it all figured out. The Jesse was born with two parents and his parents are still married lens. The lens of Jesse's mom fixed cookies for him every day after school lens. The lens of Jesse was told he was good enough, smart enough, strong enough. And ironically, people until this point did like me. I didn't, I wasn't wrong. Christina was all those things I said. But my heart wasn't broken for Christina. My heart was broken for how annoying Christina was to me. My heart was broken for what she did that annoyed me. And you know what it kept me from doing? It kept me from having a broken heart for her condition, not for her characteristics. It it kept me from seeing her as someone who was dead, not just annoying. And if we don't change the perspective The very fabric of who we are will read the Bible, will constantly say how neat that is, and will continue living mundane, taskless, useless lives. And this is a room full of people who that is not what they want. There was a breakdown in Jesse. Did I know Jesus? Man, I didn't know him enough, but I knew him enough to think that I was right. And what the gospel was doing through the filter of who I was at the center, it made people my enemies. It made agendas my enemies. It made disagreements my enemies. It made me bold enough, praise the Lord, there was no Facebook back then. There is a perspective we must have if we're going to engage in the places we are sent if we're going to endure the hardships, if we're going to overcome and recover from the obstacles. If there's one theme for this message, it's this. Our love for God and people thrusts us to continue sharing the gospel no matter what, no matter where. It is uncontrollable. And it doesn't come from some quota that I need to meet. It comes from an understanding that there's something at the very depth of who I am, the very fabric of who I'm becoming, that is Christ and Christ crucified. It's a perspective of understanding what Jesus said was most important. Jesus was asked one day in Luke 10, it's going to go on the screen for you, Most of our passages today will be from the New Living Translation. I will read one, maybe two out of the ESV just because I like how smart it sounds. Uh, Luke 10, 25-29, it was a typical stump Jesus. How can we trap Jesus? We've been over this before. I won't go into it. But one day it says in verse 25, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do? to inherit eternal life. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? 
The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. It says this, at this point he was clear, right? We know what he wanted. We know what, what we needed to do. Love God, love people. That was clear. That was obvious. Love your neighbor as yourself. I got it, but how far? Again, we don't have time to go into this. It's a whole thing. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he said, who's my neighbor? Jesus went on to tell them a beautiful story of the good Samaritan. At the end of the day, here's what it is. Our neighbor is whoever we are around. Our neighbor is whoever we're around. And again, I don't have time to go into all that, but wherever we are, we need to understand that wherever we are, no matter what and no matter where, the gospel, our love for God and people, never propels us from sharing the gospel. It never keeps us. It never pushes us away from people. The gospel doesn't make them our enemies. Now, they may make them our enemies. But it breaks our heart for them. It breaks our heart for them. It is the only explanation for what Paul did, and it is the only way we will ever do what we have been called to do. Is to understand your goal in life is not your end. It is not planned. It is not, does not seem orchestrated if you look at the life of Paul, but it is ordained and it is in God's providence bent towards one direction, his glory. That's it. You will not very often be the benefactor directly. By proxy, yes. By just being around, by doing good, yes. So, the main part of our text today is in Acts 17, 16 through 34. You should turn there. It'll be on the screen. 1 through 15 of Acts 17, if you have trouble reading the Bible, you should go back and read Acts 17. And here's a little fun little test. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to write me an email. Please don't write me an email. I mean, unless you just want to say hi. But... Read Acts 17 and honestly, honestly, ask yourself, are you, are you someone from Thessalonica or are you someone from Berea? Or you could write that down if you're like, hey, I'll forget that. But just ask yourself, if you were honest, these people from Thessalonica, man, they crazy, okay? They are crazy. When they heard the good news, guess what they did? Did they go to the scriptures? No. Guess what they did? They just said, red, kill that guy. They, they, they said and they claimed that Paul and his followers were causing a disturbance. And do you know how they did this? By causing a riot. Read it. It's in there. But then they run to Berea. And they give the same message. The message hasn't changed. And they give the same message to the people in Berea, the Bereans. And guess what they did? They went every night and they took the scriptures and they opened them up and they looked at what Paul said and they said, man, this is real. Our life must change. And while they were in Berea, Thessalonians, man, they're like, hey, 
You know what I heard? I heard some people are down in Berea. Let's go on a field trip. They went down, caused a big, huge stink. And you know what they said about Paul and all those people? These people have turned the world upside down. People have turned the world upside down. These people are causing, everywhere they go, they're causing commotion. They're causing a stink. And if you remember the story about Paul in Cyprus, and he walked through the land, and he got called into the governor's house, right? With that horrible, evil bar Jesus guy was there, right? You know why they got called in? Because the governor's like, man, I want to know what they have going on, because it's causing such a noise and such a ruckus. Because the gospel, listen, it brings truth to your heart in difficult, desperate situations. But do you know what it does when we take the gospel to the world? Conflict. People are going to reject it. People are going to say no. People are going to say you're wrong. People are going to hate you. Jesus wasn't joking around. When he said, you know what I do? I cause fathers and sons. I cause families to divide. This is real. It will turn your world upside down. That's what's happening to Paul. He's running from place to place. Is he saying, hey, guys, have you heard of my insurance policy? Is Paul running some Ponzi scheme? Is he getting run out of town? No, he's trying to raise the dead in their sins to life in Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to do, and they want to kill him for it. My question is not, is Paul right or wrong? No, Paul's right. They're wrong. But how does Paul keep going? It's because at the very fabric of who Paul is, he believes that he must love God and love people. And that's the direction he must go every day. It isn't protect yourself, protect your family at all costs. No, that is not gospel. That's not true. Paul believes that you must love God and that love for God will love you, will propel you to love people and that love for your neighbor, whoever they are, wherever you are, no matter what, needs to hear the good news of Jesus. But how does Paul keep going? It's because every time Paul walks to a place, he's a student of that place. This is what it says. Paul's running. His people are all separated. He's sent out for his friends to come back to him in verse 15. And now Paul is waiting in Athens. They're not going to come for him there. You know why? The Thessalonians are scared. And the Athenians, as Greeks, as the deepest Greeks you could be, they're fine with anybody. So Paul is there and he's hiding out. And look at what verse 16 says. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. This is a sinful, sorry place. Evil is abounding. Bad things are happening. And Paul is walking around in indignant. He's indignant. He's angry. He's violently frustrated. You can't translate that word to anything else but really, 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 really mad. Some of my friends in New Mexico would use other choice words in front of mad that are very descriptive and effective for describing the way you feel. But you know what Paul did? Paul wasn't mad at the people of Athens. He didn't hate Greeks. He didn't make a sign and say, all Greeks are going to hell. Because Paul 
in Ephesians 2 to the church in Ephesus. Do you know what he wrote them? I believe the most beautiful passage in all the Bible that wasn't spoke by Jesus. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Paul wasn't mad at the Athenians. He was indignant at the work of Satan. And his job was not to come in and say, hey, you guys are all going to hell. He's going to say, hey, guys, there's one thing that matters, and it's Jesus. So Paul always had the perspective, not that these people were going to hell, but that one day, long ago for him, not so long ago, he was going to hell too. So when Paul walked into a place that didn't represent who he was, that wanted to kill him, that's how he went to Thessalonica, and that's how after the horrible people in Thessalonica, you know what he didn't say? I'm never going back there again. He said, no, I'm going to go down the road so that I can live another day. And while I'm here in Berea, guess what I'm going to do? The same thing I did in Thessalonica. And while he was in Greece, do you know what he did in Athens? Do you know what he did? He just kept doing what he was doing. How does he keep doing it? How did he not get bitter and say, hey, Jesus, where have you been? Because I've done nothing but give my life for you, and you've done nothing but bring hardship every time I come. But he remembered this, that once he was also dead in his many sins and trespasses. Verse 3 says, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I understand that it'd be a much more interesting sermon if we just stopped right now and everybody got up here and said, hey, Jesse, listen to how I used to live in the flesh. And I'm interested in that, but I don't think it's really as edifying as we need to be, but I think we all need to understand that once we lived in the flesh. And I'm standing here to tell you that if your current life as a Christian looks very similar, except that you go to church on Sundays, as your old life, you did it wrong. You're probably very dissatisfied. You probably don't quite get how anything changes. You quite, probably don't quite understand anything that happens. And here's why. You probably don't really understand what it means to die to yourself and to let Christ come in and live. Do you know the hardest people to preach to is people who don't think they need you to preach to them? I'd rather preach at a funeral than a wedding any day. And I've been to some of your bedsides of your kids and your loved ones and your family members. And guess what? Then those days you're serious about Jesus. And I get it. He isn't just a get-out-of-jail-free card. He isn't just a, hey, let's see if you can patch this thing up. Hey, trust me. You're not getting one over on it. Your faith isn't for you. It's for your neighbor. Your faith isn't for your betterment. It's for your neighbor's betterment. And your life will never be abundant until you do something that's not for yourself. And there's 200 people sitting in this room and 1,000 people that are lost in your neighborhood. And somebody's got an ice cream truck ringtone on their phone. 
that's, I don't think you're going to hell, but I mean, you better check. Thank you. I was getting serious. Paul had a policy, he had a method. Here's what his method was. See people through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And you, how many enemies do you have? Or how many people are you crying for every night? How many people are you justifying your actions of hate and rudeness to? Well, over here, no empathy, no brokenness, no weeping for your dead friends. Paul walked into Athens. He wasn't some just open-minded liberal. He preached more doctrine than most churches do ever, everywhere he went. And people said about him, he made made the world feel like it was turned upside down. And the Jesus he preached is the Jesus that saved Jesse Hardy face down on his waterbed in sixth grade. And it's the Jesus that saved you out of your pit. But he's the Jesus that you've said is yours. You weren't, he didn't just come into your life. He came to live your life. And if he was living your life, how would he live it? He wouldn't be saying, man, it sure is hard to pray. He'd be saying, man, if I don't get on my knees, I'm going to die today. Paul's life is not about making life modifications. It isn't about tweaking my quiet time. It's about realizing that there is a compulsion, a thrust that doesn't come out of guilt, but comes out of love. I'm not doing it because he provided food for me. I'm doing it because I love him. I care for him. I I want to give him everything I can and everything I could possibly give him. Do you know what he says? Filthy rags. But through Christ, it's a beautiful gift. Paul went to the synagogues in verse 17. He reasoned with the Jew and the God-free and Gentile, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He went day after day after day. Which means what? Day one, everyone didn't become a follower of Jesus. Day two, everyone didn't become a follower of Jesus. Day three, people mocked him. Day four, people made fun of him. Day five, they ran him out. Day six, he came back. Day seven, he went back. Day eight, he went back. Day nine, he went back. Was his message different? No, just maybe louder and from on the other side of the wall. I went to India once and people told me that I had to share the gospel within three to four minutes. I was brokenhearted because that's not the way I want to share the gospel. But do you know what I realized Jesus would have done then? He would have told them how valuable they were. He wouldn't have spent time trying to convince them he was real. He would have tried hard to convince them there was a love that superseded everything they were feeling about themselves. 
So I looked at them every time and I said, listen, you live in a beautiful home. And they were offering me tea. It was 110 degrees. It was 100% humidity. But I drank the hot tea anyway. And I said to them, there's a lot I'd like to tell you about Jesus. But there's one thing I think he would tell you is that in three to four minutes I have to leave. But you deserve a lifetime. Because what you're doing here matters. But you're probably saying it doesn't matter much right now. And I would tell you the only reason it doesn't matter is because you're not doing it for Christ. That's the difference. Right now you're toiling, but if you would give your life to Christ, everything you're doing here would be to propel his gospel forward. And the love you would have for God and therefore people would thrust you to share your faith no matter what and no matter where. Paul went and he spoke daily. Then he had a debate in verse 18 with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection. They said, what's this babbler trying to say? We would call it like a cotton picker. What's this cotton picker got going on here? He had strange ideas. He was talking about something that was done for someone no, for no reason. He was speaking about grace and love. This is new concepts. These people were Epicureans believed that life was finding the ultimate pleasure. And the truth is they had taken a belief of this philosopher and they had perverted it to be this just oversensitized and sensual, horrific thing that they believed life's very center was at pleasure. And they pursued pleasure and pleasure and pleasure and pleasure. And guess what? They found no satisfaction. Mick Jagger, apparently Epicurean. That's okay. You got it. We didn't say he was right. We just said that's what he was. Stoic philosophers believed in virtue and they believed virtue could only be given and told through no emotion. So if somebody said you were stoic, they said you had no emotion and you were probably not trying to pursue the greatest virtue. You were probably just trying to figure out how you felt, right? You probably learned that from your father and your father from his grandfather. I'm not saying they were stoic philosophers, but Jesus was shaking everything they believed in. And Judgment is acting, asking you to change something about yourself to make yourself better. But here's what I'm telling you. The message of Jesus doesn't say get better. It says, hey man, you're dead and dead is dead. And all I'm offering you and all Paul ever offered and all I'm offering and all you can offer is not just some hocus pocus story, but it's the truth that we were all dead and our many sins and trespasses given over to our flesh. But verse 4 says this, but God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by Christ you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated with him in the heavenly realm, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, that's what everybody in this world needs. And it's not about judgment, man. It's not about I'm better than you. It's about, hey, I was dead once and I tried every single thing I could, but the only thing that gave me value, meaning, or purpose was understanding that there was nothing I could do to bring myself back to life. 
but God, so rich in love and mercy, that when he sacrificed his son for me, he didn't just say, look at you, look at what I had to do. That would be judgment, and that would be just. But he looked at me and he said, I didn't do that so you'd feel bad. I did it so that you would come to life, and then I would live in you to go someplace, and you would do something that matters. What if we actually did it? The question isn't, do I know this? The question isn't, do you know this? The question is, why aren't you doing it? The question is, why did Jesse have to get struck by lightning and get sent to New Mexico? I'm like, God, I'll do it here. I promise. I'm sorry. And every day I look at a place that's lost and desperate and sad, and every day you do the same thing. You might not look at it that way, but it's lost and it's desperate, and it's sad. But Paul talked to those men, and some of them were women, and he kept sharing the truth, and guess what happened? Same thing will happen to you. Same thing will happen to me. Same thing that did happen to me a couple days ago. Somebody's going to laugh at you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the God of the universe. Oh, yeah. Jesus died for my sins and he miraculously rose. Yeah, I know. All the evil, I better be careful. It says in verse 32 of Acts 17, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said this. We want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But verse 34 said this, but some joined him and became believers. And among them, guess what? We're real people. Charles, maybe, but this is like Dionysius. And it was important for Luke to write that to Theophilus so that he knew these were real people. It wasn't just some made-up story, but that real people came to know Jesus. And if you and I went out and did one ounce of this truth in the places we go to the neighbors in our lives, guess what would happen? We'd come back and you'd be like, hey, call on me. Because some people laughed, but then at the very end, somebody walked up and said, hey, is that real? Because what you said just turned my world upside down. What you said just made me think I was wrong. What you said answers the hole that I've had in my heart because I've tried to fill it with everything. Marriage and kids and more kids and more kids. And trust me, that's a bad way to go. And this and that and the other. And you don't have to tell them a story about how you're better than them now. You could tell them a story how you were once dead too. In summary, our love of God and people keeps us coming back. Paul kept going back. Rejection back, rejection back, rejection back, rejection back. For what you love, you will go back despite rejection. For what we love, we will go back despite rejection. For what we love, we will go back. 
Think about it. There are things in my life that I've been continually rejected on. There are things in my life that have refused to pay me back for anything. And guess what I do? Doritos have done nothing for Jesse Hardy. You better not have a bag after this. Then we'll eat them all. No matter what they do, if we love them, we go back. In summary this, would anyone look at your life and say, you've turned the world upside down? I get it. I'm not talking about going into the reunion and just flipping it out. I'm not saying let's make Thanksgiving memorable. I'm not saying to do what I did to Christina. Man, that was for Jesse. That wasn't for the gospel. I'm not asking you to stand on your platform. I'm not asking you to make someone feel small. I'm not asking you for, to look up and go, Zacchaeus, stay in that tree. Because you're an evil, horrible sinner. Jesus called Zacchaeus down from the tree and he turned Zacchaeus' world upside down. He was the worst person you know and Jesus didn't say, hey, good thing you're in that tree because I'm too good to be around you. He said, you get down and you go home and you fix me a meal and I'm going to eat it and I'm going to love you. That's the kind of turning the world upside down the world needs. How many people are questioning who you're having dinner with? Listen, do not push me on this. Guys, girls, what's this? Let's all do the right thing. Let's all have intent. I'm not saying that you have a reason to go out with your secretary for lunch, okay? I'm saying, who are people looking at and going, man, I didn't know you guys were friends? Who's in, who in your path do you need to tell of God's love? Do you even have a path? I'm not saying it's a perfectly orchestrated path. I'm not saying it's perfectly curated. I'm not saying it's your path. It isn't your path. Look at Paul's life. He wasn't going down any path. His life looks like some weird myriad of running and running and running for his life. And every place he went, though, he understood one thing. His life wasn't his life. It was Christ's life that was being lived in a body that used to be Paul's. It is not your life. The people in your life need to see sacrifice. They need to see that Jesus is the first and foremost in your life and that everything else is secondary, including them. They are not first. And they can't keep you from the path that you need to put yourself on in order to encounter some people who need to know the truth. Because our love for God and people thrusts us to continue sharing the gospel no matter what or where. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that your word challenges, that your love purifies, that your love is sharp, and that it cuts. And I pray that you would put in us a discomfort like no other for a life lived in pursuit of nothingness. But that you would begin even now not to rebuild, but to take down, tear down, and build anew a life in each one of us built upon you,
not us. And yes, it will hurt. And yes, it will look different. And yes, we'll have to stand and say that we were wrong. But oh, for those who are dead, just like we were. Oh, for those that are dead in this room that have never taken a step towards a journey to faith. Pray that the truth of your gospel will confront them today. And for those who have lived a version of your truth that is nothing like the version in the Bible, that they would repent, that they would confess, and that they would take whatever steps necessary to install at the very fabric of their life the truth, the perspective they need to go and do the things you planned long ago for them to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Have a great week.